take a copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our series on this fantastic book. I'm using the Bible that's at the end of the pews, the ESV, uh, but you also have the NIV in the pew in front of you. You'll find the page numbers for both of those in the insert in your bulletin if you'd like that. Um, Philippians 3 verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. A persecutor of the church. Uh, excuse me, I, I skipped it a little bit there. Um, circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself to us and not left us in the dark about how we might be saved, that we might come in faith given to us by you um, and find righteousness in Christ. Help us, Lord, as we explore this text, cast our eyes once more upon our Savior and grant us the anointing of the Spirit. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, throughout his letter to the Philippians, Paul has been reminding his readers of the importance of humility and serving together for the progress of the gospel. In chapter 3, we see this, see this word, finally. Now, Paul's a good preacher. You notice that the word finally comes in chapter 3, and we've still got a whole other chapter coming. So it's kind of like saying in conclusion when you're about halfway through your sermon. And so he's beginning this long uh, goodbye, this long farewell, this long summary ending of his letter. And today he's going to tell us about more and more of what the gospel is. He's been talking about the progress of the gospel and how important it is. They are rooted in the gospel. And in this text, he reminds them of the content of the gospel. You know, honestly, I think that we all struggle greatly with remembering the gospel and believing it each and every day. I don't mean in a saving kind of way. I think many of us here, perhaps hopefully most, have have called on the name of the Lord for salvation, have repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ, despairing, counting his loss, our own righteousness, and um, seeking the Lord. 
But as believers in Christ on a daily basis, we fight many a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they all seem just bent on helping us, making us, convincing us to forget the radical news of the gospel and its implications for our daily lives. I think we see this in our fight with our own insecurities, that we forget that we are secure in Christ and not in something else, people's opinions, uh, jobs, success, fruitfulness, all, all these things. I think we see it in our relentless efforts often to maintain God's love by doing good things or wondering if his steadfast love applies to us anymore. My question to the kids was a valid one. I think we, we often forget God's love for us. And we have to come back to the gospel and, re, and be reminded that, that his love for us has, has nothing to do with what's inside me as something to commend myself to him, but something outside of us, something unmerited, unconditional, something that, that God gives to a wretch like me. I think we see it in a whole host of ways. We, we see it in that we put um, other things before the Lord in our lives. We're gonna do whatever's most important to us. We're gonna find time and make time for it. And, and as I look at my own life, I wonder how much do I really value the gospel as I look at um, perhaps a checkbook of my time and how I spend it. The Philippians have a great church. Um, it was founded by, by the Lord, obviously, but the Lord used uh, Paul to accomplish this. Um, but they're facing a, a trifecta of problems. They're, they're, they're facing three things that are um, giving them worry. And the, the first is Roman and Jewish persecution. They are facing the cost of calling upon the name of the Lord. They are also facing division within the congregation, especially between these two ladies, uh, Eutyche and Syntyche. That's not right. Um, Iodia and Syntyche. Uh, Iodia and Syntyche were there apparently fighting amongst each other and, and pulling others in. There's division in the church. But this morning we see the pressure of false teachers. And Paul has some very stark warnings. We, we see this um, in this context in verses 1 through 3. Verse 2, Paul is going to pull out all the stops. He's not going to pull his punches. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These words in the Greek, dogs, evildoers, and mutilate, all start with the, the letter kappa or K. He's using alliteration to draw attention to these different things that he will apply, uh, label these false teachers and the first is the word dog. Uh, I had five dachshunds growing up of one kind or another. One, if one time we had four dachshunds. Let me tell you something. I love dachshunds. Four is a few too many. Uh, and so, but I love, I love the dachshunds. My, my brother-in-law, Christopher Gill, who's one of our supported missionaries of the church, he works with uh, veterans of PTSD and, and traumatic brain injury in Birmingham. It's a great ministry. Well, he just received a service dog. Um, and it, a lot of money went to the service dog. It was a golden retriever. It is a golden retriever, and um, it's not just for him. It's for him and his ministry. This dog can work a crowd, and if someone is struggling with uh, depression, post-traumatic stress, if they're having a, a situation, if um, they're about to go into a seizure, this dog can pick up on it and will go to that person. It's a valuable dog. It's a valuable dog, and, and finances for sure a lot of money went into it but also in its um, use and they love this dog it's a great dog otherwise too 
When we think of dogs, we think of nice dogs. But that's not what Paul's saying here. When he calls them a dog, he's not thinking of the dogs as we think of them. The dogs in Roman society were, were despised. And Jews saw them as unclean. They were unclean animals. In fact, they were unclean to the point where if, if you petted one, if you came into contact with one, if one brushed up against you, these mangy dogs, then it would render you unclean. You couldn't go to Passover. You couldn't go to the temple. There's great irony. So these Judaizers, these false teachers who are coming in and saying you had to be circumcised in order for God to love you. It wasn't enough to believe in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. You had not only to do that, but you also had to do a little more, either for salvation or for God really to love you. You know, kind of two or three tiers of Christians in order to be the cream of the crop. To be a a real Christian, you had to do, um, had to follow the, the Mosaic law. These people were, were seemingly trying to make the Philippians and the Galatians, we see them there as well, clean, more holy. And he says, you're a dog. You're unclean. You're, you're not only that, but you're an evildoer. You who would, who would pervert the gospel, the, the simple, unadulterated gospel that Christ has come to die for wretches like you and me. And your addition, your, your efforts to, to make people more holy to be more pious, more than Scripture calls for, to to look for salvation elsewhere besides Christ alone. This is actually doing evil. It's not just a, you know, we might as well add this just in case kind of thing. He says, no, 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 no. Watch out for the evildoers, these dogs, those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about circumcision here, but he doesn't use the word circumcision. He uses a word that means to cut into pieces. And it was something that uh, Old Testament priests were not allowed to do. They weren't able to mutilate their flesh as pagan priests might do to try to gain the, the favor of their gods. Apparently, there's, uh, changing the gospel is a big deal. Apparently, adding to it or perhaps taking away from its demands. Taking away the, the, the gift that it is making it a burden instead of something to be received by joy through faith in Christ. Paul's going to say in in Galatians chapter 1, let him be accursed, let him be anathema, let him be cursed to hell forever. Paul reminds these Philippians, says, look, this isn't what you believed when you called on the name of the Lord when I was there. Watch out for these folks. They do not have your best interest in mind. He tells them to remember the truth in verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. They were running around, these, these Judaizers, Judaizers, these false teachers were running around saying, hey, we're the real circumcision. Those who are loved by God, we are the real Israel. Paul says, no, 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 no. We are the real circumcision. You know, just because something looks good doesn't mean it is good. Just because looks, something looks real doesn't mean it really is. I remember hearing a story several years ago of uh, someone, I think in the Virginia area, um, who bought a Dodge Charger. And if you know, if you've ever been through Castleberry, you know that the police there and elsewhere like Dodge Chargers uh, often for police vehicles. Um, now, apparently this guy, he took it to the paint shop and they, he had him paint it like a police car. And it even said police on the side. Now, do you know who was upset about this? The police. They were pretty upset about this, right? Well, apparently there's nothing wrong with it. Legally, 
I don't know how this works. I'm not a lawyer. Please consult your lawyer. Apparently that's not against the law. What is against the law is having blue lights. Only police officers can have blue lights. So do you know what this guy did? He took a piece of wood, shaped it into the shape of a light bar, and painted it blue. And so the profile, it looked like a police vehicle. And the, and the judge said, well, it's not a real light bar. There's nothing you can do about this. It looked real, but it wasn't. And depending on his heart, he could have done real harm with his vehicle. Paul's words here are, hey, these guys, they, they look good, but they're not the real McCoy. They don't have your best interests at hearts. Remember that circumcision is it's not about the body, it's about the heart. They're focusing on the flesh, what they can do outwardly. But let me tell you, Jesus says that our hearts are to be circumcised. Not our flesh. It's not just the New Testament that tells us this. Deuteronomy 36, this is going back a long time. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What's it talking about here? What does it mean to have our hearts circumcised? It means that our, our hearts are purified by the blood of Christ, that we're made clean, that God cuts away the, the sin, the record of our sin, the guilt of our sin, the power of, of our sin away from us and makes us new. That doesn't come from outward observance. Praise the Lord for that, by the way. That doesn't come from self-righteousness, from doing good things or, or even adding good things to faith. That comes from faith in Christ. Really, the, the sum text of this whole passage can be found in verse nine. And to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, why can't he have righteousness, salvation, holiness, right standing before God that comes from the law? Because it can't happen. The law condemns us. The law stands there as the accuser to say, Parker Johnson, you deserve the wrath of God both in this life and the next. But, but, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, here's the thing. As Paul looked back at his former riches, there was one time when he did look to his own works for his salvation. There was one time when he was persecuting the church that someone would ask him, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, if God were to call you home today, if, if you were to die and you were to stand before God's throne, Saul of Tarsus, what would you say to him about why he should let you into heaven? Something we all need to know how to answer, by the way. And this is what he would say. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel, not a Gentile sinner. Not, not that neighbor who is the real sinner. Not the murderer who's in jail. Not the adulterer, not the X, Y, and Z. I'm a tribe of Benjamin. Do you know anything about the tribe of Benjamin? You should, you should respect me. Because the tribe of Benjamin, we followed the tribe of Judah when Israel broke off in 722. Oh yeah, and the first king of, of Israel, his name was Saul. That was my namesake. He was also the tribe of Benjamin. And Jerusalem itself is in the bounds of my tribe. I am a Hebrew of Hebrew. I'm not just a lowly Israelite. I'm the cream of the crop. Let me tell you about how well I've done obeying the law. I'm a Pharisee. I'm not just an Israelite. I'm just not a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I am, it, I, I'm, I'm focused 
on purifying Israel as we prepare for the return of Messiah. Zeal, you want to know how zealous I am? I don't just sit home on the Sabbath. I go and I persecute those who don't love our God. I persecute these people who love and who believe in this guy named Jesus. To righteousness, I am righteous. I'm faultless. I'm blameless. This is what Paul used to trust in. These these false teachers who are coming around saying, hey, look at us, we're we're good people, therefore God loves us. He said, look, I've been through that. I bought that t-shirt, it doesn't work. Because what he once looked at as his riches, as his things that made God love him, he now realizes that none of those things will make God love you. Do do you know that? Do you know Jesus? Do, do, Do you know salvation? If you're trusting in your own works for God to love you, it'll never work. The formula doesn't work. You can't get, you can't get there from here. Because we're condemned by the law. We sin because we're sinners. Our hearts are filthy and nasty. And apart from God's love, we have no hope. For that best word in all of Scripture, <laughs> but Paul came to the point as he had his interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 and on the road to Emmaus, where everything changed. We see this in verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. After the um, financial crisis of 2008, I learned, we all learned a lot of new words. One of the ones I learned was, or phrases, was toxic asset. A toxic asset is something that is on the book of a company or an individual that no longer has any value, but you can't get rid of it. We used to bundle these things up with other mortgages and sell them for investments. And then we got in a lot of trouble for that, didn't we? The result is that a toxic asset sits on the books and there's nothing you can do about it. I think my house in Montgomery is soon to be a toxic asset. If you'd like to buy it, I'll throw in a firearm or two. You're welcome to it. Um, the fact is that, that Paul realized that his righteousness, his quote-unquote right, his good works, his record of all that he had done, this was a toxic asset. Three times in these two verses, we hear the word loss. One time we see them rubbish. He, he thought about all this stuff and he counted it as rubbish. This word is skubala. I say that because many of you have heard that word before. It means rotten food, Bits of meal left over, not worth saving or eating. A rotten corpse or even excrement. As he looked at his righteousness, he looked at all of his his track record of all that he had done, his goodness that he was trusting in salvation, he said all that, it's not even worth dung. In fact, a good case can be made that the word dung as a translation is not strong enough for what he's saying here. We have to reach the point too. We see all the record that we're resting in. It is nothing but rubbish. It is nothing but excrement or rotten corpse, decay, and will not save us. But for many of us here, we, we've, we've long done that for salvation. 
But I think we, we slide back into that often. Begin to do the battle of, does God love me? Does God not? So we look at how we've obeyed or not obeyed, if we've done our Bible study today or if we've not. Those are good things. We should obey and do our Bible study. But God's love for us is not based on those things. We begin to be insecure and we begin to struggle with doubts because we forget the gospel. See, these toxic assets have been taken by Christ and they've been paid for. They've been paid in full and as a result, we receive the riches of salvation. See, Paul had to declare moral bankruptcy. He had to say, I have nothing of worth. I'm so underwater, I have no hope. And certainly that is our situation as well. And in turn, he counted these things as loss. He counted them as rubbish so he might gain Christ. That he might, do you hear that gain? Loss and gain? These are intentional words used by Paul. And the gain that we have in Christ is a gift. It cannot be earned. It can't be put on layaway. It can't be rent to own. It can't be leased. And therefore, it can't be taken away. It is a gain that we are given by the Lord. The righteousness that we cannot achieve by our own actions has been achieved by our Savior and His perfect life and ministry as the God-man Jesus. And upon the cross, He took our our filthy righteousness, our our, our lack thereof, our filthy rags, and, and He exchanged them for his righteousness. And now when we call upon his name, we receive his righteousness. It is um, imputed to us. It is given to our account. So we recognize our loss and see our gain. Paul had the end in sight. Verses 10 through 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've shared with many of you about my Uncle Frank who may or may not be on his deathbed. We don't know. The Lord does. But Sunday he became a Christian. And uh, whether the Lord calls him home today, next week, next month, next year, we don't know. He has counted loss all of the things of his life. And he has gained the riches of salvation. It took him to the point where he couldn't get out of bed to call on the name of the Lord. Don't tarry that long. Don't wait. May today be the day of salvation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the righteousness that comes from the Lord, that comes through faith. We thank you that you save us apart from our works. We thank you for the the free gift of salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there are those here today that don't know you, may today be the day of their moral bankruptcy. They might count as loss all their self-righteousness and put their faith in Christ and receive salvation. Father, for the rest of us, help us to remember, to remember, to live in light of this amazing truth that we are secure in yours and we are lovely because you love us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.